Greetings, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. Those that are new, you can check out my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will find a flip book that you are free to read, which also has a lot of the print highlighted in red, which are links to amazing and profound videos, many of them on YouTube, that highly verify for many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing about here. And I am sharing about the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, who is who the one true eternal God could only be and is. And he is revealed in three personages because he rules in the three ultimate aspects of existence as not three gods, but the one true eternal God who those aspects of existence are beyond creation, time and space. In the creation realm is the second and the third is the omnipresence filling all creation and all dimensions of time and space in creation and beyond. And he is God the Father beyond the creation realm, separate and above and beyond it. And he is expressed into creation, the Father, as the Son. Basically, the word Son means expression, and it is very clear in the Word of God that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father to us in the creation realm to communicate with his creation and experience it on a limited creature level with us. And so he rules in personage within the creation realm simultaneously with the Father and also is an omnipresence as the Holy Spirit of God filling all dimensions of time and space within the creation realm and beyond with the Father. So I introduce you to the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal through Jesus Christ. Yes, God's love is so great that he came into this world. He is so great that he could come to this little speck of a command planet in the midst of the vast universe he's created and communicate with us, and more than that, love us so much that he would go all the way to the cross. He was tempted as we are in every way as human beings and had the potential to fall but could not fall because his being was so perfect because he is God and was in such a deep union with the Father because he is abiding in the Father and the Father is in him and he is just the expression of the one true eternal God, the Father to us. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father, separate in personage from the Father, but in total oneness and personage with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And so he came and he suffered on the cross he lived a perfect life and, as it were, through his obedience and resistance of temptation, took the first man, Adam, in whom the whole human race comes from and from which came the first sin. And he took that first man, Adam, and, as it were, through his obedience, 
in union with the Father against all temptation, took him to the very cross and nailed him on the cross so that we could be transplanted into Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And he suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross, so that you could repent and receive his forgiveness and receive eternal life. And so I want to share with those that have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ what God is saying by his spirit to the churches, especially in the United States and Canada, and yes, the churches around the world in this time of great crisis. And what I do is I seek to speak as the oracles of God, because the word of God commands us, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God in 1 Peter 4.11. That means that when we as believers gather together around Jesus Christ, we are to be in such a relationship with God that we allow the Spirit of God to speak through us to one another. So how does that happen? Well, it is explained in Revelations 19.10 where we read, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great reverence and humility and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that come from the spirit of God. They might come in the form of a creative song where we don't even know what the words are. We just sense that we're to rise up and sing and there might be a, a kernel of something that was impressed in us and we sense the Spirit of God wants to take that little kernel. And sure enough, when we sing it out, these beautiful words come forth as we are conscious more of God than anyone in our midst out of love for God. And those words come forth in a beautiful poetic song that is spontaneous, or whatever it is, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge, uh, an exhortation, an encouragement, a prayer. But every member functions in the body. As we gather around Jesus Christ, we are to speak as the oracles of God. And so I am here to encourage people when they come together to return to what God is requiring in the gathering together because it is greatly lacking and yet is the clear pattern in the book of Acts and in other various New Testament scriptures as to what God desires when we come together to gather to worship the one true eternal God, Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word Yahweh, for those that are new, is the main word used in the original Hebrew in the Old Testament for God, the most sacred name for God. And the word Elohim means the Almighty's one, literally, which means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, referring to the one true eternal God who is in three personages by which only you could reign in the three ultimate aspects of existence as almighty and all-powerful. I want to share with you that I also cast lots on the scripture to get the possibility of any chapter from the Bible. And I do it with two independent random applications in order to get two chapters that would bear witness as to the theme of what God is saying today on this particular day of Friday, November the 4th of 2000 and.
22. I also seek to have a song that goes with it. Now I admit that at this time I have not been giving messages almost every day, but maybe once every three days. And so there's been some wonderful passages. I wanted to preach really badly yesterday, but the way things worked out, it didn't. One of the main factors is I'm about to publish my book on the evidence of life after death, which will be titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. Most likely that will be the name of it. I have, I'm just doing the, setting up the compiling uh, aspect of the software, which is Scrivener, the most professional and best software for publishing. And it's only $65 one-time payment. I'm not selling it here. I'm just mentioning it. So I want to share with you what I received today. And I'm going to be sharing the song I got by the casting of Lost yesterday because I almost preached yesterday. And I'll touch on what I received the last two days, which is obviously from God by the casting of Lot. Now that's very scriptural. It was done extensively in the Old Testament. It was also done by the early church to choose the apostle who would take the place of Judas that fell. It was also used extensively by powerful movements of the church, such as the Moravian movement, a great movement of revival in church history, uh, even to cast lots to choose their wives. But if it's done and you're not right with God, and you do it irreverently, and or God isn't leading you to do it, obviously it won't work, and you could possibly be, certainly if there's sin in your life, committing divination. But what I am doing is totally scriptural and right before God, and those that are so righteous in their own ways, instead of in the righteousness of Christ, have their boxed-in mentality, which in their pride causes them to judge someone that would do what I am to do. Oh, I would never do that. I'm not so childish and silly to do that. Oh, poor, poor soul. He has to do things like casting lots. Oh, really? Well, brother, you better humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and repent because your judgment is not from God. Okay, I am just here now to share what I received today from the Word of God. But first of all, we're going to play the worship song that I received yesterday because I didn't have time to choose one today. So this one is one from a group I was with years ago out of the 1,250 potential songs that I choose by lot. I got this one yesterday and... Um, it's applicable, certainly, and a different kind of a song. Um, the hymn book is 1,080 hymns from throughout church history in the underground church in China with the work of Watchman Nee, who was martyred in 1972. They had many beautiful, beautiful songs. So I'm very fussy. The songs have to be really good. So here's one of them. God bless you as you worship with me here. is 
This is the time, yes. We are living in a time that is very urgent as never before, and much of the church is asleep. And I'm talking about the evangelical church. I'm talking about the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. Much of them are still asleep in an hour of grave crisis in the world. And many of them are buying into the lying news media that has been corrupted in the last 30 or 40 years, infiltrated by the Chinese Communist Party, infiltrated by... Uh, the globalist elites that all have an anti-God, anti-Christ mindset and view and desire and hate believers and Christians and those that fear the one true eternal God. But I am here to give you good news because the word of God says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. And that is beginning to happen. For example, in the United States, there are large groups gathering outdoors in worship. I think it was something like 5,000 that gathered in New York in open-air worship in the very place where they were defying God. I forget the details. And this brother is leading movements of worship across the nation. And this is just the kernel, the very seed of a little of what God is about to begin to do to raise up by his spirit a standard in this hour when there is such a flood of iniquity. And multitudes of people have already died from the vaccines that have taken two or more vaccines. Those statistics are coming out in the insurance companies. They're coming out in the uh, uh, data from the U.S. Army through 
whistleblowers. You can look at it at Renz, R-E-N-Z hyphen law.com and many other sources. But we, in this hour, when all of these things are happening, and we know there's the World Economic Forum and others that have an agenda. Klaus Schwab has written a book. They talk about wanting to reduce the world population. In open, it's amazing they do it in open. Oh yeah, let's reduce the world population down to 500 million. That's like killing 90% of it. All of this is going on. But our focus is not on these things. And the way we overcome these things is not through the physical realm, the flesh and the blood. It is by us. It's the people of God turning back to him. This is the key. It is conquering the nation with the love of God. The love of God is not a love that condones sin. It brings reproof to those things that are evil and wicked. But it also shows great mercy and forgiveness to those that are genuine in their repentance. But love always brings justice. Even King David suffered serious consequences for the sins that he committed, even though God forgave him. And I just want to share with you today what God has been saying from his word in the last few days and today. And I don't have a long message because I only have so much time to give it. So I want to share with you, first of all, what I received in on Thursday, yesterday, and the day before. Both on Thursday and the day before, I received on Thursday... Exodus 12, which is about the Passover lamb and eating the Passover lamb. And then there's Matthew 8. And in Matthew 8, there is the um, description of the centurion that said to the Lord, I'm wanting my servant to be healed. He's a very close friend of mine and so on. And, he, and he's very dear to me. Please, he, but he said, I'm not worthy for you to visit my home. The Lord said, I'm going to come over to your place and I'm going to heal him. He says, no, I'm not worthy of that. And the Lord said, I've never seen such great faith. No, not in Israel. And then he talked about the children of the kingdom being cast out, whereas others that would come in the last days from the east and the west and would be in the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting about that in Exodus 12 and how all that fits together is that I also received about the centurion the day before. Or very recently, no, it was two days. On Tuesday, I received about the centurion in Luke 7. And of course, I could go on and say, yes, I, I can't comment on Wednesday right now. That was John 15 that I received. It's about biting in Christ, very significant. And Genesis 4 was about, of course, Cain. And there's a real clear theme here because you have Cain being the opposite, showing the opposite of what happens when someone doesn't abide in God because you've got the story of Cain and Abel. And in John 15, you've got the emphasis on abiding in God. And I could have given a powerful message on that. That's a theme that came by the casting of Lot yesterday. And like I said the day before, it was a contrast between, and I might have pre even preached in that one from what I remember, uh, that was Tuesday, Luke 7 and 1 Kings 21, 
which was a contrast again between someone that is doing the opposite of abiding in God, Ahab, and Luke 7, where it talks about the centurion. So what did I receive today? Um, that's just an overview of what I received the last two days. And I'd like to go a bit more into the uh, passage on um, Exodus 12 and Matthew 8, uh, which is about the centurion and the Passover lamb. But first, let me share what I received today on November the 4th of 2022, Friday. I received Daniel 10 and Zephaniah 1. And Zephaniah is a prophetic book of the last days, particularly in chapter 3. So I didn't just read chapter 1. Although there is prophetic force, uh, prophetic verses there that go beyond the immediate of their present state of rebellion against God in chapter 1. And in Daniel 10, it is also on the last days. And so God is saying by his spirit to his people in this hour that he wants us to wake up because the time is short. His coming is soon. And he is about, as it says in Zephaniah, and it repeats it throughout each chapter, he is about to devour the earth with the fire of his jealousy. The word jealousy is a jealousy for us because he loves us so much. He wants us to be saved, to be receive the gift of eternal life. And what did we sing? We sung a song about us being the soldiers of salvation, of deliverance to those that are lost. And in this time when people are losing hope because their loved ones are dying, because they can't make ends meet, because of something that probably will be as bad or worse than the Great Depression, there is a harvest that is very, very ripe. And God is saying there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. This is the time that God is wanting his people to rise up and become his army that reaps the harvest and conquers their nation with the gospel of God's love. Daniel 10, we have a message. And so I'm going to read a little bit of Daniel 10. go into Zephaniah. But first, before I do that, because I didn't preach the last two days or so, and there is a clear theme there, I think it's important that I touch on that first, because this is what God is wanting us to enter into, into a vital, deep, abiding union of love with him as we've never known before as individuals in our lives, but also corporately. And that is why he emphasized yesterday, John 15 and Genesis 4 by the casting of Lot. Now in I, that's, pardon me, that was two days ago. My mistake, this digital thing sometimes jumps me to the wrong location. Yesterday, it was Exodus 12, the Passover, and Matthew 8 about the centurion. 
And when they ate the Passover lamb, for God to be able to pass over their home, there had to be the blood on the doorpost of the house, that innocent lamb that they kept for 14 days before they killed it. I'm sure when they kept it specially close to themselves in those last 14 days, it became dear to them and it became a pet to them. Remember the parable that was given to King David when he said, oh, there was this man and he didn't have any children, so he had a lamb and it was just like his own little child. It, was, it became precious to him. It became dear to him. Do you know that in the afterlife, many Christians that have been highly verified to have died, it's in my book, in the afterlife, when they are in heaven, they discover that their pets are there to greet them. And of course, there their pets can communicate to them intelligently instead of just meow or bark or whatever kind of pet it is. Well, according to Dean Braxton, one of the ones that really was highly verified is dead for a long time, a very committed Christian. You can look him up on YouTube videos, NDE, Standing for Near-Death Experiences, and type in Dean Braxton, B-R-A-X-T-O-N. Well, he said even he saw his chickens that were pet, pets communicating with him up there. That's how much God loves us. He cares for every aspect of our lives, brothers and sisters. His love is jealous for each one of us to come into a deep close relationship with him. And in Exodus 12 here, they took that little lamb and they killed it. And they roasted it and they roasted the everything as a whole. And they had to eat the whole lamb by the morning, or at least completely burn it by the morning. And the Lord passed over them. There is significance in eating Christ with our being and taking Christ in because it talks about that in John 15 that I mentioned, but also in Matthew 8, we have there the centurion who came into such a faith, a moral persuasion in the one true eternal God. You see the word pistis in the Greek basically means moral persuasion a moral persuasion in who God is, that he is the ultimate source of authority, of trustworthiness, because, why? Because his love is so perfect that it will not tolerate corruption. It has such integrity that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is the love that always chooses the highest lasting good, that transcends the mere filial love of emotion, that chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, that is so pure that it is a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. Yes, his love is a consuming fire. Our God is a jealous God, and he is jealous for your life that you enter into the fullness of your destiny that he has for you in this last hour. That is why it says in Isaiah 60, arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He is calling us in the midst. What does it say in the context of Isaiah 60? It says, the verse before says that, gross darkness shall cover the earth, and it's speaking of the last days, and that is the hour we are in at this very moment. And he is commanding the church to arise and to shine and to come into alignment with the zeal of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, for these last days.
that we would pour out our lives in love unto our God. There's nothing more wonderful than loving God. There's nothing more fulfilling than loving God and learning to trust him through every trial that he allows in our lives. Yeah, we all tend to panic like the disciples in the ship, but we begin to learn that we can have such an abiding union with him like Christ had, that we can say that the presence in us, which is peace, can have peace in the midst of the storm so that when we speak, that peace comes out of us and says, be still, peace. The presence of the Lord says in peace, be still. And here in Exodus 12, God is calling his people to learn that deep abiding, a partaking of the lamb, of having the doorposts of our heart, our heart open to God, to always be partaking of the recognition, the moral persuasion of who God is and his love, that he loved us so much. Yes, only a love that is so integrous that it will not tolerate corruption. That is what the holiness of God is. It is the integrity of his love that will not tolerate corruption. It is very severe on sin. It is very severe on us, even as Christians, to deal with those things if we are truly his children that are not of him. For the word of God makes it clear that if we are not chastised by him, that we are not his children. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered him from them all. And I have certainly been going through many trials in my life. And right now I'm going through a great financial crisis and I'm learning to trust in him, even though I am going through a great financial crisis. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For that. And so we can learn to be in a place of abiding with God, where as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord in true conversion, if we were truly converted, there was a deep turning in the heart and there was a deep moral persuasion that can only be when we accept God as good for his severity against sin because we recognize that God must be severe against sin for to ensure a destiny without sin, a place known as heaven where there is no sin. So we, knew, we do not become like Cain, who became focused on the consequences of God's judgment of his love that had to be severe on him and on all the creation around him that was suffering because of sin. No, we get focused on the fact that his holiness is good. And when we see God and we don't see him as a dictator, but we see him as a God of such integrous love, it is then that we can recognize that he is also so good to provide a destiny for us and to have the power to forgive us without violating that integrity of his love. And so we begin to recognize the mercy of God that endures forever as they did in the Old Testament. Yes, they were born again of the Spirit of God from the very time of Adam till now. And I don't have time to get into that. Christ expected Nicodemus and the leaders before he died on the cross to know that. And people walked close with God from the beginning of time like Enoch, who was translated like Elijah, who was translated like Moses, and so on. 
And we can enter into the same relationship today to be ready for that ultimate translation that will probably most likely, most likely, I'm sure it will come in our lifetime. And it may be that we are one of those that endure and are blessed to endure to the point where Christ touches his feet on the Mount of Olives or just before he does. And there is that translation of the saints as is described in Matthew 24 in a very clear, obvious chronological order. That's a minor point that I'm not wanting to focus on. Our emphasis today is that God is calling us to be like the centurion that has such a moral persuasion in this love of God that we, with our heart, with our spirit, with our soul, are eating of who God is. And we are totally eating of the fact that he could so love you as an individual that he would literally die for you if you were the only one he created. That's what they experience when they go to heaven and stand before Jesus. Pete Dean Braxton describes that. Dale Black, that had his plane crash into a stone monument 70 feet in the air, describes the same thing that he experienced in others. They experienced that Christ loved them like they were the only one that existed in the whole universe and he would have died for and did die for them like they were the only one, although they knew God loved all the others as well that are his children. But love is so beyond anything of this earthly realm. It's a far superior existence in the other dimension you experience, experience everything very physically there, but you have the ability also to be instantly somewhere by thought or to float in the air or to walk or run and you can feel the feet under your feet. I can't go into describing that, but that's our destiny, brothers and sister. It's a place beyond comprehension in this physical realm. You can't even describe the greatness of the love and of every aspect of existence in heaven. And hell is also the same. It is being cut off from the very source of love who God is. And you're left with something that is not even able to be comprehended. The torment in the physical realm in hell is way worse than anything you can experience in this world. And that's all in my book. And I have the testimonies of many people written in that book. Most likely afterlife, incredible, irrefutable that will be coming out very soon on Amazon. God is calling us. And so here today, it is Daniel 10 and Zephaniah 1. And I cannot share much more. But in Daniel, it says this, beginning in verse 18, Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou, there wherefore I am come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth to the prince of Grecia shall come. When I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. And then he goes on in the next chapters, chapter 11, to foretell details of future events leading up to the return of Christ and the destruction of the Antichrist. And I want to emphasize that what God is wanting in these last days is a return to the first love. 
and I've written a book. I need, notice I need to update the outside of the cover on the back part because um, there's some things there that I didn't fulfill that I thought I was going to fulfill at that time that are written on there about future books. But on that book, which you can purchase on Amazon, there is suggestions of what you can do to not limit in your congregation the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. If you're a denomination, cast off your denominational shell. You might be one of those that says, oh, we're not a denomination, but you still have a shell that reveals that you are. God is calling us as his people in this hour to receive one another as Christ received us as sinners. He is calling us to return to the genuine fear of God, which is that right reciprocation of God out of a genuine turning from the heart in receiving first the aspect of his love, which is the integrity of his love, the holiness of God, out of which then we receive and only can receive the greatness of his mercy and grace toward us, that sharp two-edged sword. Yes, our hearts are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. Let that sword circumcise your heart afresh that you might enter into that deep abiding relationship with him. And God is calling churches to come together in your town, in your community, to fast and pray for three days and to seek him and to cry out to him and then ever go back to being the church the way it was again. And even if you don't come together and can't get the churches together, if you change your church and you begin to do what I suggest in this book, some, you don't have to do everything in the book. There are only suggestions, most of them, but the core issues are that we come into a new order in the body of Christ that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly. That means that you make your church a prayer meeting. You don't have a pre-service prayer meeting. You get on your faces before God and you seek him and you become more conscious that Christ is in your midst than the leadership in the front. Many people, they skip the prayer meeting, and then they come and start singing songs and they haven't humbled themselves before God. They haven't come to a place of tuning in corporately. That's why it's not good to have a prayer meeting before, but to make your church a prayer meeting and have a four-hour service that started at one in the morning so people aren't in a rush to get to church. Use your common sense. You can have a four-hour service and really enter in to moving in God. Even if you have one service like that a week and you have a life of prayer, that's better than having a bunch of activity and not having a personal prayer life. God, have mercy on us. I'm sure we both, most of us can at least have that and a, a, a service during the week that's a love feast to reach the lost. Oh, that would be wonderful have an evangelistic service on Saturday and at the same time, maybe around six o'clock or whatever. And it's up to you, but get this book, God, Headship and Body Invasion, because you can never go back to being the church the way it was in this hour of crisis. Wake up if you're asleep and believing the lying media. Well, their lies are being exposed and now more people I think are awake than are asleep. May you be awake spiritually for this hour because God is calling you to become his precious one 
a jewel in his crown for the last days. And in Zephaniah, it emphasizes in the last chapter there, I wish I could have read it. There's a lot I could have shared from Zephaniah, but I'd be preaching a very long message here if I did. And I have it here to preach. But in Zephaniah, the last chapter, there is so much that is so rich on the last days. And it emphasizes about the prophets that are light and treacherous persons and the priests that have polluted the sanctuary. Are we going to be those like that in these days? And then it talks about how God is going to humble those that glory in identifying with it. Oh, we are the elect. We are God's people, but they're puffed up of their own righteousness. And so what does the Lord say? And so I want to leave these verses in Zephaniah with you as I close. It says in that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. Who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden? Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee. I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time I will bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth, and I will turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. And I wanted to read the verse, and I somehow missed it there, where it says that those that were proud and identifying with, oh, we're the elite, we're the chosen of God, that he's going to humble them. He's going to have his people being a humble and afflicted people in the last days. And that also is in Zechariah. And so God is calling us to be those that are ready for his coming. And I will leave it at that. God bless you and thank you for listening to this message.